everyone, and uh, welcome to a new episode of Happy Life Abroad podcast. I'm Andrea, and I will be your host today. Michael is here with me as well, but he will be my guest today, so I'm very excited about that. Hello, Michael. Hi, Andrea. How are you? Fine, thank you. Um, so just to say a few words about me, probably you're wondering um, who am I. So I am also a coach like Michael, I, but I'm a career coach. I help people change their jobs and uh, th- their careers and also maybe even start a business. I know Michael for uh, more than a year already and we have worked together for many uh, together many times now. I'm a fan of his podcast myself and I was living abroad as well for five years and I got also through the experience of uh, being an expat um, spouse, I mean actually partner, <laughs> And more so, um, I have come to face many of the, this, the, many of the struggles of this role as well. So one day, while I was listening to Michael's podcast, I had an idea. So I went to him and asked if he wants to share his story as well, because uh, I know him already. And I know he was an expat spouse too some time ago. So he said yes, and here we are. So hello, Michael. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very good. Good. I'm happy to hear that. I'm very glad you you were open to my uh, invitation and um, we get to hear your story as well. Yeah, I hope it's interesting. I hope it helps people. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it will. Okay, so um, how are you feeling as a guest? Because you usually are the host. So I was just wondering, you know, out of curiosity, how is it for you to be on the other side? There's a little more pressure, but I'm feeling okay. It should be good. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, I was thinking if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Like, where were you born? What were, I don't know, sure. your experiences sure. so far um, with living abroad? What happened throughout your whole life? Okay, so uh, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, which is in the northeast of the United States. Uh, I spent most of my life there. Uh, went to school there, went to college there. Um, I majored in uh, photography, believe it or not. And, mm. uh, Interesting. Uh, I was there until the age of uh, 26, and then I left the U.S. To, the U.S. for a vacation in Israel. It was supposed to be for two weeks, and I ended up staying for four years. Wow, <laughs> that sounds incredible. Um, yeah. What is the kibbutz, if I can ask? Maybe. Yeah, so I lived on a really kibbutz. Short myself. Yeah, I lived on a kibbutz uh, in Israel, uh, which is a um, in America. I guess you would call it like a commune. Uh, okay. Most of the founders of the kibbutz were from Russia, and so they had this very socialist um, attitude. So everybody mm-hmm. had uh, everybody had equal pay. Everybody wore the same clothes. You know, it was very um, it was socialist. Yeah, and, I, I think I understand. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, while I was there, um, I learned the language uh, Hebrew. And where I met my uh, ex-wife, 
uh, we met on the kibbutz, and uh, we decided to get married. We got married in Cyprus. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah I so, love Cyprus. Yeah, Cyprus is fantastic. And uh, the thing about the kibbutz, what, what was really good for me was that I was able to relax, because before that, uh, in the States, um, I was having trouble holding down a job because I was so nervous of losing my job. And when I went to the kibbutz, it was like, uh, we don't care what you do as long as you try. So I was able to relax and I got, I got, um, more confidence. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, so, uh, it's quite different from the American, uh, lifestyle where, you know, you have to, um, you have to really, uh, go the extra mile at work, you know, really work hard and long. And when I was there, it was like, okay, you know, just relax, do your job, and uh, and that's it. So it really gave me confidence, and it really helped me later on when I came to Finland. Wow, that's amazing. I think that's an incredible story, to be honest. Uh, and uh, what was the purpose of the kibbutz? Can you tell us, like, what, uh, why so were they, they were in place, basically? Well, they really built the country. They built uh, Israel. Um, they were the first uh, communes or little cities. And each kibbutz has a uh, factory and a farm. Uh, and it's each member of the kibbutz is part of the government for a certain amount of time. And then they shift, they switch. So every member, so there's usually around, there's like a two, three hundred members on a on a normal kibbutz and they they each one rotates into the government position so everybody gets a chance uh to be in the government there um but uh, the kibbutz uh, they really built the country they built Israel uh, to what it is today uh, of course they they don't exist like they used to anymore um it's kind of funny because i was there when the soviet union collapsed and the kibbutz collapsed also Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> but they did. And uh, so, um, you know, nowadays they're really like little little towns. So everybody pays for their electricity. Everybody uh, pays for their meals. And they uh, it used to be that everything was free. You know, it was part of the socialist um, yeah. environment. But nowadays, it's very much like a little town in the 50s in America, if you can imagine that. So, uh, so uh, yeah, that was the kibbutz. Okay. So, basically, you had to have more roles there, if you could? Like, uh, you have to go well, through multiple? Well, if you were a member. So, I wasn't a mm-hmm. member. I was, I was going to be a member. Uh, but I was a volunteer, uh, and there were other uh young kids from all over the world uh, that were in their 20s uh there were people from the UK uh, from all over, over Scandinavia uh people you know these young kids came from all over the world because you could work there you know you work i think it was um you work about eight hours a day uh you get all you get food and board uh and a little spending money Mm-hmm. Um and on the weekend everybody would travel around the country and explore Israel so it was quite a lot of fun. Uh and uh the the alcohol was pretty cheap. 
So it was a it was a um, uh, a real a destination for a lot of uh, young kids all over the world. Uh, and there were parties. Uh, we had discotheques and we had all kinds of stuff on the kibbutz. So it was a lot of fun. Wow, that sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. Yes, I bet it was for a young person to experience yeah. so much in one place. Okay. You mentioned your ex-wife, yeah? So you yes. found somebody there. Yeah, so that, my... What happened? And what well, happened next? Well, my ex-wife was also a volunteer uh, from Finland, and we met uh, on one of the kibbutz. Um, we were dating for about a year, a year and a half, Um, and then, uh, we decided to get married. At that time, uh, uh, I'm Jewish and she's, uh, Finnish. So, uh, at that time, a Jewish person could not marry a non-Jewish person in Israel. You had to go outside the country. So, <laughs> you had hundreds and hundreds of Israelis and everybody mm -hmm. else going to Cyprus to get married. It was, it was the thing to do. Uh, in those days, now it's different. Now they allow it, um, but in those days you couldn't do it. So there were a lot of people on the ferry uh, going over to get married in Cyprus, and we, uh, I think we got married in Limassol, if I if I remember correctly. Okay. And, and uh, how long ago was this? Like this was in eighty-seven um, or eighty-eight. Okay. Yeah. Something somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And I know you are living in Finland now. So basically, you decided to live together and move to Finland. Yeah. Well, yeah, we um, we couldn't really find a place to settle down in Israel. There was just so much going on. Uh, we had you had the Intifada, and you had uh, millions of Russians coming into the country in those days. So the price of real estate went through the roof. It skyrocketed. Um, I called my parents and I said, you know, I, maybe it'd be a good idea if we if we go to the states. And at that time, in the late '80s, uh, you had a recession in America. So we decided to come to Finland. And oh, oh there's one story I have to tell. So uh, yes. When I, when I was in Cyprus, uh, I was at a restaurant with my um, my ex-wife, and across the table next to us, next to us, there was another American guy who was also married to a Finn, and he was he overheard our conversation. He came over and he introduced himself, and we were talking. We became good friends, and uh, he was a little older than I was. I had more experience, and he said to me, look, if you ever come to Finland, here's my card, give me a call, I'll get you a job teaching English. He was a teacher. I thought nothing of it, I never thought I would come to uh, go to Finland, and then um, it turned out we couldn't find a place to live in Israel, so we ended up in Finland, so when we got here, um, I called him, and he got me a job, and that's how I started, I, I started teaching. Wow, <laughs> such a perfect, you know, timing for yeah, you. Yeah, it was fantastic, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Sounds like destiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you feel as a teacher? Was that the role for you? I loved it because mm -hmm. I was, um, 
in the States, I used to teach, uh, young, young kids, uh, judo. Uh, so I, I love to teach, uh, especially kids. But I ended up teaching adults here in, uh, in Finland. I was in the adult education. And, um, when I came to Finland, you know, uh, English is my native tongue. So they took me right away. I, I had no, uh, credentials in teaching at all. Um, but they took me in and, um, I learned from this guy and, uh, put together a program and I did it for, uh, about 10 years. Wow. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. Um, I was thinking now it sounds like you had it all figured out, right? But I, I'm sure that you had some also like moments when you struggled, maybe culture shock even. Oh yeah. 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 So I came, so I came from Israel and, you know, in Israel in the winter, it's, it gets, it doesn't get below 20, you know, in the yeah. winter. Mm-hmm. So we came here in October, um, of 89 and it was dark and cloudy and icy rain. I, I, I slept for about a month. I just had, I just could not do anything. I just slept. And, um, but it did remind me of Boston quite a bit. Uh, so I was able to adjust that way. And I, I, um, I got some language, uh, learning programs and I started to learn the language and I started to adjust slowly. But when I first came here, it hit me like a rock. It really did. And, uh, I'm sure it did. Yeah, it was yeah. very tough, very tough. Yeah, Finland can be, I guess, quite rough uh, if you come from, <laughs> you know, sunny country. And yeah. that's a very different weather, basically. And it impacts your well-being as well, not just... Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, what, did you ne- what did you do next as a, as a couple? How was it for you as a, you know, if... I was thinking now if your relationship changed, you know, because you moved to a different country... Yeah. You were already working. Yeah, so well I wasn't working very much. I was only working a few hours a week in the beginning. Uh and then the funny thing is that in nineteen ninety um nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one, Finland was hit with a huge uh recession slash depression. So the economy just tanked here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was lucky I had a job. Uh, in the beginning I was working a few hours a week and I, I kept building it up and building it up and eventually I got up to 40 hours a week of teaching. Uh, but I would say the thing that, the thing that helped me the most <clears throat> when I first came here, um, I, uh, I listened to a lot of music, but not just any music. I listened to Baroque music and the slow movements. And it was very peaceful. And I used to go for long, long walks. Uh, that <laughs> in Finland, there are a lot of trails through the woods. You know, they have a lot of, there's a lot of, um, forest here. So they have a yeah. lot of trails. And I used to walk constantly, um, in the woods and, and listen to this very slow, very beautiful music. And it helped a lot. Um, it helped me to adjust. And the other thing that was very different was um, 
you know, in the States, everybody's hustling, 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 you know, trying to earn more and and be more and do more. And here, they're very laid back. Uh, they're not, they're not, um, go-getters like, like we are in the States. So and you didn't feel competition or pressure to, to perform? Well, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's part of it. But the other, the other thing was that I, I wanted to perform. Okay. I still had this deep in me, this American, uh, mentality. So it was, you know, um, um, when my ex-wife was just, you know, that's the way it is. I, she was very satisfied with what she was doing. I was saying, I was always saying, you know, we got to do more. We got to get more. We got, you know, and it just did not mix. And, uh, to this day, uh, Finland is just so laid back. I mean, I like it here. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, uh, it's not like, uh, New York City or, or Boston, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm sure it's not. It's not. <laughs> so what I'm hearing from you is that your mentality or the way you were brought up was standing in the way of your, let's say, adjustment. Process. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and the how language, did you address uh, this? Well, Sorry, um, how did I address it? Well, I, I would say that I'm still not quite used to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I have adjusted quite a bit, but there is still that entrepreneur in me. There's still that, um, part of me that wants to always improve. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I don't think I'll ever really get to the point of, uh, being like the Finns. I mean, we're just so different. And, uh, you know, just to realize that there, there are these differences, uh, helps a lot. And, uh, you know, everybody can be their own way and I let them be how they are. And, uh, so it, it, it works out. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm sure. I, I mean, as I was mentioning, I was living also abroad somewhere, um, like six years ago, maybe. And, I remember the culture shock I had. You know, it was, uh, I was living in Slovakia, and I'm cur- I'm basically from Romania. And um, if you know, we had some similar, you know, past when we were basically in under the same uh, Russian, you know, right. uh, yeah, empire. And yeah. Um, even though I thought we are very similar, when I got there, it, it really struck me. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was not able to move past the language barrier because, for example, I remember I was very frustrated with all these small details. For example, um, back then Google was not so smart, so I could not know, you know, the I could not read the, the map. And, yeah. and also on the bus, I could not understand the names of the stations, you know, the stops where I need to go off. Or uh, I was going to public administration offices and they didn't speak any, you know, international language. So mm-hmm. I was really getting frustrated every day with these little details. Yeah. And um, yeah, at some point I got really, let's say, unhappy and I was questioning my decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking if you had 
ever this realization maybe or yeah i mean the I mean, language something like that mm-hmm. well the the finnish language is supposed to be the most difficult language for westerners to learn yeah i heard that <laughs> yeah and it it's pretty tough i mean everything is turned around and uh, upside down but um in the beginning it was very difficult because i i we lived in a, a little con- countryside village and not everybody spoke english and it was just so frustrating you know to do anything mm-hmm. at the bank was just really frustrating yes exactly um, yeah yeah and but uh, i stuck it out i um i went to uh, language courses and um it took me to be honest it took me about seven years for the language oh. yeah mm-hmm. for the language to finally kick in okay. uh, but once it kicked in i was able to uh communicate you know on a basic level and get around but it it took about seven years for it to really take root in my mind it it's just one of these things mm-hmm. um yeah you know but i was lucky because i was an english teacher you know and everybody came to me to learn english so they wanted to speak yes that's a yeah. great advantage i guess yeah it was a huge advantage okay um and uh, i was thinking now if you can tell us <clears throat> if you ever had you know any struggle real struggle like a moment where you were very I don't know, um, struggling to leave there, or did you ever consider to move? Any anything like this? Like second uh, question in your choice. Well, there there was one point. I mean, I mentioned the bank, and there was mm-hmm. one point where I used to go to the bank. Uh, my ex-wife uh, it didn't want to take care of any of that stuff, so I had to do it. I don't know. That was just the way she was. Anyway, I went to the bank. And nobody in the bank spoke English, and I would just sit there. I mean, I must have sat there for a couple of hours, waiting because I had I had to uh, uh, pay bills and all kinds of stuff. And finally, I just said, "Look, I want to see the manager," uh, and they understood that. <laughs> so I went and I, <laughs> I, I, I probably uh, the same word. Yeah, yeah. In Finnish, no, it's totally different. But anyway, so I went in and okay. I saw the guy and he spoke English and I said, "Look, I've been sitting out there for two hours, two three hours. Nobody's helping me. I got really angry uh, and I stormed out. and And that was um, that was really the only time that I just kind of lost it. Um, but uh, doing any of the uh, you know bureaucracy stuff uh, with the with the uh, the uh permanent residency or any of that kind of stuff is just so difficult if you don't have anybody to help you uh and you don't know the language it's just really really tough yes i can totally relate to that i wish i had somebody with me every time i went to you know administrative offices and do this uh, this part of the you know living abroad yeah yeah Okay, and now I know you are a coach. So yes. how did you get to this point in your life? Well, like I said, I was a teacher. And while I was teaching, I got into uh, accelerated learning techniques. 
And then I found uh, this thing called NLP, Neural Linguistic Programming, and it was supposed to be good for um, for teaching, to teach in a new way that helps people learn. It's kind of kind of like acceler- accelerated learning. So I got my employer to pay half of the cost of the uh, of the seminar, whatever you want to call it, and I did that. I fell in love with it. Um, I did the practitioner, and then I did the master practitioner um, in NLP. And while I was studying this, the the trainer that was training me, she said, you know, you'd you'd make a good coach. And I didn't think anything of it um, for for a long time. Uh, After my divorce, I was driving a taxi, and then I was driving a bus for, for some years, and I decided I want to get to get back into something like teaching. I mean, I like helping people. I like, um, uh, you know, uh, helping them succeed. And so I thought, you know, maybe I'll I'll do coaching. <clears throat> and so that's how it started. And I I went to um, International Coach Academy. I studied there, and I also studied at uh, Master Coach University. And uh, so I've been coaching now. Geez, I, I guess it's going on seven years already, um, uh, and uh, most of my clients are uh, either in the U.S. or Europe. Wow, that's such a great story. I'm happy to hear it because um, I was talking to more coaches, you know, along these years, in the last few years, and um, we basically, I don't know if you noticed, we have something in common, all of us, and it's the will and the pleasure to help other people and to be there to support them on their journey. Right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you found this through um, teaching, yeah. Yes, yes. Other people, I noticed they come from human resources background or health industry, like extended health industry. Um, yeah, that's very interesting to me, to be honest. Uh, because I'm a career career coach, so I I found it very you know <laughs> interesting to find out how people choose their careers or how do you decide to change it you know to go different right. ways. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's good. You were I think you made an inspired uh, choice and decision back then, and you went uh, back to basically some sort of teaching and yes. being close to people again. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, what are you talking now with your clients? What's your niche and what what are their problems? So I would say um, the biggest problem is adjusting uh, to a new culture and language. You know, learning or being in a new culture, learning a new language, it's one of the most difficult things you can do. Um, And it really expands your mind. It, it it makes you more intelligent. It has all kinds of good um, benefits, but it also is very difficult. And I, that's what I'm helping people the most with is adjusting and being more resilient and flexible. And uh, so that's what we're working on at the moment. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Why do you think it's so difficult? Because I also experience it. And it was, um, you know, I had this resistance of 
trying to adapt faster or trying to be closer to the local community. I don't know. I Instead of doing this, you know, and being proactive, I was choosing to, you know, hide and stay at home and not go out and don't yeah. like I was I wouldn't expose myself in any way. Yeah. Why do you think it's so difficult? Well, I mean, when you think about it, um, you know, let's say you're from Boston, you have a Boston accent and. Many people don't lose their accent. They don't, um, they're, they hang on to it. I mean, it's something, you, you were born in a certain place, you, you, you live the beginning of your life in a certain culture. It's very hard to let go of it. It's part of you. It's, it's you know, it's a yeah. big part of you. And, uh, to let go of something like that is very, very tough. It's very tough. But there are ways to do it. So you see it as a letting go process, something that you yeah, have to you give have up? To, uh, yeah, you have to be open. That's the most important thing is to be open to new experiences and new uh, ways of doing things. You you have to have an open mind. If you're closed off, it's you can forget about it. So you, you really have to be open to new things, new experiences, New ways of looking through, looking at things, new paradigms. It's it's one of the most difficult things you can do. Mm-hmm. And how about emotionally? Because I think, for example, for for me, that was the most difficult, let's say, part of the process to Emo- go through Emo- all these emotions. Oh. Um. Well. I think the the key is to accept what you're going through, uh, feel what you're feeling. So getting into the emotions, not not pressing them down or anything like that, but really feel what you're mm-hmm. feeling, expressing yourself, and then letting go if you can, or you hopefully you're able to just let it go. But you you need to experience the the frustration and the sadness and and the anger and all these emotions that come up, uh, you have to experience them and and um, uh, recognize them, and then you're able to let them go. Yeah, I wish somebody told me that you know a few years back, because I was honestly I was running away from it. I could not understand why is it so hard for me to live in this country. I, I, could, I could not accept it. I was frustrated because, you know, I had different expectations and now it was so hard for me to adjust. And yeah, I, was, I could not accept that this is happening, you know. I think that's a fair point there. Well, what happens is we get into the fight or flight mode. So mm-hmm. you either you either want to like you said curl up and and just sleep all the time or you want to fight somebody all the time. So this is basically wired into us this fight or flight. And uh, and but if we can get into the it's called the relaxation response. So if we're able to um get into this relaxa- relaxation response, we're able to think a lot better. We're we're able to make better decisions. And there are different ways to do this. The way I did it was with music. But a lot of people use meditation, um, yoga, and tai chi, and all these different modalities that help you to to relax. 
Because if you're fighting, if you're running away or you're fighting all the time, you're 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 not going to be able to adjust. You have to be able to relax and and um, and get into this um, state of of relaxation. I, I I can't really explain it better than that, but uh, you know that's why all these people suggest meditation because mm-hmm. if you're fighting or if you're fighting or running away all the time, it it uses a lot of energy, and you're just exhausted all the time exactly yeah Yeah. i remember i was i was drained especially um six to six months to one year yes Mm. yeah Uh, yeah so basically what you're saying is that if we we can find a way to calm our nervous system yeah um and be more present in our lives that's right and not just you know be angry or avoid things all exactly. the time. Yeah. We could start feeling more creative and more calm and more energetic maybe even. Yeah, you're more open minded. You're mm-hmm. more you're more rela- you're more open to new things. Yeah. And what other ways do you think there are to, to get there? Um do we need external help? Because for example I wish somebody could you know, just tell me, hey, you can do this, you can do that, come see me, you know. Well, there are a lot of people use visualization. Um, you know, they close their eyes and visualize themselves in some very happy place in their childhood. Maybe when they went, I don't know, hiking in the woods or on a lake or, you know, here in Finland, uh, this is the land of a thousand lakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, so a lot of people have summer houses, and um, I used to go in a rowboat and go on the lake, and it was just fantastic. It's just it, you relax right away. Whenever you go into the into nature, it puts your mind into an altered state. Uh, it 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 slows everything down. So just walking in the woods in nature will help you to relax you help your mind to relax it's one of the best things you can do is uh, walking uh, in a forest or some type of nature um, place natural place it's, yeah. it's it's really good for you yeah I totally agree um, also Slovakia is full of nature and it's it's not so um, it, for example Bratislava where I was living it had all sorts of uh, green uh, spaces um, and sorry places near the city, so you could just, I think, go there by bus, and you got there very quickly. Uh, and they have parks and woods and everything, and everybody was out with, um, I think, bicycles and uh, also um, other other sports in nature. Yeah, they were very connected to to doing sports outside. Yeah, it helps a lot. It really mm-hmm. does. Okay, and I'm guessing also a coach can help with this, right? Oh, yeah, a coach can help to give you strategies on how to get into this um, relaxation response. There are all different kinds of ways to do it. Uh, you can do it with language, you know, just by talking to somebody. Um, and there are many, many different ways to help you to adjust to a new situation 
to feel comfortable, uh, to relieve fear. There, there's all, there's many, many different ways to, to help uh, a person adjust things. So it's pretty good. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much, Michael. I think that would be all from, from me today. Um, and um, I know that you already have some, uh, you have a website and people yeah. can, uh, you know, get in contact with you and you have also a Facebook group. They can reach out also to right. you through through that group. Um, we're going to link it below. Uh, I mean, link it on the web, on the web, like um, the podcast platform, but also on social media. While when we, um, when we are going to share this as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you'd like to say something else or. Um, no, just you can go to my website, highmountainproducts.com, find all about, find out all about me and, uh, and uh, listen to the podcast, and like you said, it'll be on social media. Um, I think that's about it, really. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much for your time, and I really hope that uh, everybody who listens uh, finds this very useful, because I did. Uh, so, uh, until next time. All right. Thanks, Andrea. Bye. Bye.